Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kevin L. Jackson with you here Hello. today. Hi, Hello. Hello, Kevin, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. It's another Monday. I, I'm on a buzz again. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> a buzz on a Monday. It could be better. A Greg, buzz how are you Saturday? doing? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, I'm good. Uh, great weekend. I'm sorry. We were talking a little before the show. Kevin got rain. We only got beautiful, amazing weather here, right? So Agreed. Pretty nice. What, but rain is better than snow, I imagine, right, Kevin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know up in uh, Boston and Minnesota, you got snow. I mean, that it's too late for snow. <laughs> yeah, my brother lived in Boston, and he had a three-word post on Instagram, and the first two words were, what the? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I bet y'all have fun when the families get back together, Greg, uh, and we'll be doing that very, very soon. Okay, but today it's all about the supply chain buzz where uh, Greg and and sometimes a, a wonderful guest host like Kevin L. Jackson joins us and we talk about some of the <laughs> some, <laughs> s- some of the leading stories across global business, certainly across global supply chain. So y'all stay tuned. We've got five dandies teed up that we're gonna be diving into and, and offering highlights and hot takes on it here. Breath. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> here we no, go. No kidding. But first. But first, um, and, and of course, we go live every Monday at 12 noon and every Thursday at 12 noon and probably soon to be a third day in the uh, in the uh, uh, plan moving forward. Too much to cover, too little time. So, but let's cover some programming notes first. Let's let's see here. I want to share. So today on the main channel, Greg and Kevin, mm, we yeah. dropped an episode with Colton Griffin, founder and CEO of Flourish. And Greg, what do we talk about on 419? <laughs> yeah. So a day, a day before 420, um, yeah, we're going to let Colton share a little bit about what Flourish does. They're a seed-to-sale technology provider. And, and talk a little bit about the likelihood that cannabis is a test bed for the supply chain of the future. So I'm not going to give too much away there. But suffice it to say, there, is a, there are a lot of dynamics in that industry that mirror the same challenges that we have. And because they're starting with newer technologies, not having to revamp old technologies and approaches, they are actually ahead of the broader supply chain in a lot of ways. Agreed. Could be the model for modern supply chain. Kevin, you were going to add? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, cannabis for medicinal purposes, uh, because they have to have end-to-end visibilities, um, is, is really accelerating the use of technology across the entire supply chain in cannabis. Mm, excellent point. So you're saying yeah. they're they're pioneering digital transformers there, Kevin. Yeah, they absolutely are. But providing that visibility from from seed to what do you say? Seed to sale. Seed to sale. Yeah. Yeah. I like <laughs> Love it. Love it. And Colton gives a great interview too. So y'all y'all check that out in the main channel. 
And then, uh, you know, every Monday we publish this week in business history today. So last week, Kelly Barner uh, guest hosted a great show on Napster versus Metallica. Today, we talked about 10 things you didn't know about the Suez Canal. And well, the reason we did is because this week in history, uh, and I don't have the year in front of me, is when ground was first broken on the Suez Isthmus a version of the canal. And a French diplomat used a pickaxe to be the first one to break ground. So you have to tune in to This Week in Business History, wherever you get your podcast from, to get the rest of the story, including what role did Napoleon Bonaparte have in the Suez Canal? It's fascinating stuff. Mm. Well, Merry Isthmus. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes. And that one other thing I didn't know, as we were, you know, we're on constant research for these stories, is uh, 15 ships were trapped in the Suez Canal for almost eight years. And you'll have to learn why by tuning into the podcast. But wow. Fascinating. Now stuff. I have to know that. <laughs> and moving yeah. right along. So, Greg and Kevin, we've got a really cool webinar coming up. We've been, we've been talking about this quite a bit, mm-hmm. all about securing the supply chains, especially from a, a ICT standpoint. So, Kevin, give us the latest on this. We got some late breaking news, I think, on this April 27th webinar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to announce that uh, Carlos Solari of SecureG, which is the digital trust broker, um, he's going to be on a panel, along with Jim McConnell of Verizon. Mm. I mean, uh, one of the largest Telecommunications companies are going to yeah, be can you, Yeah, tell us well. what, what they do, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me now? <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so uh, big names, big names. So this must be important, right? The ICT supply chain. Huh? Do you have a cell phone? <laughs> uh, smart device, computer. Mm-hmm. Are computer you connect. Yeah. Uh, wait. Check it out. It's free to register. We've got a link in the show notes. you got some big names. We're going to be updating the graphic with the latest additions. Kevin, look forward to you leading the discussion. Not only big names, but a big topic, a big, oh, yeah. vital, critical topic. So, yeah. all right. So, Greg um, and Kevin, we've got a, a, a before we say hello to some folks, uh, we've got a neat little segment we're going to kick off today. <laughs> it's called Your Weekend Update with Natalie Dutton, and we're going to bring Natalie in, and uh, we're going to see what her highlights were from last weekend. Hey, Natalie. Hello, Justin. Good afternoon. So this is a question we ask every Friday at the team call. What do you have going on for the weekend, Natalie? And we've been threatening to put you on the show on Monday and have you report back on your weekend. So <laughs> you're welcome. And we are, we made it happen. <laughs> I had to make sure I struck, kicked it off on a good weekend. So I actually had something to talk about. But yeah. Well, hey, really quick. Come back. <laughs> so Natalie, really quick. So you're uh, an incredibly talented member of our associates team. You'll be graduating with your undergraduate degree from the University of Georgia right around the corner, right? Uh, yeah. And we, we've loved your production and marketing help uh, going back for uh, just about a year now. So wanted to kind of set the stage and make sure folks know the connection there. So Natalie's with us just about every week here on The Buzz, kind of behind the scenes with Amanda and Clay making it happen. So Natalie, tell, tell us about what the highlights were from your weekend. Of course. So this weekend, I went to the UGA football game G-Day, which is a scrimmage between UGA and UGA, 
Um, really exciting mm-hmm. game. They won. EJ also lost. EJ <laughs> <Jay> won. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, the red team won. Just to clarify, it was red team versus black team, and it was so awesome. I was super excited to go to my first and last football game of the year. <laughs> but yeah, they yeah, gave. That's right. Great. You'll be graduated by the team time the season kicks off, won't you? Yeah, I didn't get to go to a football game in the fall, but being able to go to at least one this year, I'm super grateful for. So, and I got to enjoy a snow cone while I watched the game that uh, I was telling y'all earlier turned my mouth completely red. <laughs> it was so worth it, though. It was so <laughs> just like just like an eight year old at a football game. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what did y'all talk supply chain? On the breaks between quarters and stuff? Of course, of course. <laughs> Run a report on that. <laughs> How did that get That's right? Yeah. That is right. Well, Natalie, really appreciate all that you do. Hope you had, it sounds like you had a wonderful weekend. And uh, we look forward to having you back with us next Monday to give us a couple other highlights uh, of your weekend. We've got to keep it fun around here. Fun and refreshing. So, Natalie, thanks so much. And we'll talk with you very soon. Weekends with Natalie. That's thanks. Right. <laughs> All right. So one last programming note, uh, and and we love we're all big fans of all of our associates around here. I'll tell you, Natalie has been a great, uh, wonderful leader and contributor. So uh, two final programming notes, Kevin and Greg. First off, the important one: today mm. is National Garlic Day. Did you know that? Oh. And did you know also that as opposed to ten or so years ago, when when most of the garlic here in the states came from California. Now, China supplies up to 80%, depending on what number you look at, of the world's garlic. You so said that, that word. Oh, no. It's going to turn on, Mr. White. <laughs> oh. Let's activate. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin is re- <laughs> Kevin's referencing for those of you that were with us. How could, how could garlic be something that has to be produced in China? I mean, really. Well, you know, it's really interesting because uh, I was watching uh, some uh, YouTubes over the weekend, including ones that show where all the, the majority of, the, of different fruits are from. And you'd be amazed at fruits oh, and yeah. vegetables and how many uh, that China leads the world in. So, But nevertheless, one other program that really important one is that today's Supply Chain Buzz is powered by our friends at Open Text, uh, the world's information company. Now, they've got a big event coming up in June that we're going to be sharing uh, probably starting next week. And Mark Morley, who some of y'all may uh, recall him appearing, making a few appearances a few months back, pretty sharp guy, Greg, right? Yeah. I, I mean, he is, uh, well, first of all, he's interesting because he's got a, he's got a unique accent, <laughs> right? So, so that makes him sound ever so much smarter, which he is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great sitting down to talk with them and we're going to spend some time with them, uh, at an event at, at this event. So right. that'll be fun. And it, hey, one more thing, Scott, because yeah. I, I, uh, I did a uh, overview on an article that talked about, and this is something that OpenText is contributing to, talk about this notion of a digital backbone of a unified integration, right? So one of the challenges that we have in supply chain is how do we connect all our data, right? Internally is hard enough. How do you collect, how do you connect your ERP to Salesforce, to your OMS, your TMS, your WMS, all your MSs, mm. and all of your other products internally? But then you try to do that externally to create that create that visibility and transparency and accountability that you want. 
in your supply chain, utterly impossible. So this notion of a digital backbone of a unified integration, you just kind of drop this thing in there and, and all the connectors exist for the systems internal to your company and external to your company to allow you to do it in one place and have that data available to you. So that's really powerful. And of course, it's critical as we talk about things like eliminating slavery and sustainability and provenance and, you know, and all of those things, that, visibility and transparency that we want in supply chain. So yeah. it was a pretty cool article. If you, if you can't find it, you can hit me up on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll get you the link. Awesome. Kevin, would yeah. you like to weigh in? I saw, saw you nodding your head quite a bit. Well, one of the things you were talking about is uh, uh, having those those APIs, I guess, so they can connect all this information uh, together. In today's world, in the business world, it's all about your business ecosystem. You have to not only get information from in your internal business processes, but all of your external partners that uh, support your delivery of services to your customers. And even more important, be able to interact with the content that your customers are creating across multiple channels. Yeah. So this is really this is critical to critical to any business as they build, identify, build, and interact with their entire ecosystem. Yeah. Well no said. Doubt. Well said. So y'all check out. Uh, we might can drop the link to Greg's LinkedIn article or post oh. in the comments if. Uh, Amanda Clay or Natalie can find yeah, that. Yeah, we have advanced technology too. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, great team over there and look forward Weaker to more. That. That's our integration. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I want to say hello really quick to a few folks, and then we're going to dive into the first story that Kevin's going to walk us through related to blockchain. We hadn't talked about blockchain in a little while oh, on the buzz. Right. So Peter says uh, he's got his convertible roof down. Driving hey, all right. How about that? Nice. Peter, share what the fix was ultimately, because he and I went back and forth over what might fix it. So I'm interested to see what it, what got it done. Please share, uh, Peter. Mahir is with us via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. I think Mahir, if I mispronounced that, please let me know. We don't. We hate getting names wrong around here. Mohib is with us. Good morning. First. Or good morning. First powered oh. flight in another planet has been achieved today. That's right. Wow. Oh, yeah, I saw that video. They had NASA has the uh, video online. It was about six fifteen a.m. Eastern time, three fifteen Pacific time, and, and we're looking for all the videos. I think they had some cameras mounted on that thing, so look forward to a lot more imagery. But what Mahib, planet? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was on Facebook earlier today, and and a buddy of mine said, "We've got powered." flight on a different planet and i just want constant cell phone coverage as i, as I drive across country Amen. <laughs> simon is thing. with us <laughs> simon, simon hey, says thumbs up that is right simon congrats on the new role as well so yeah. all the best tom's with us here today the uh, master of several uh podcasts out there tom keep it coming azalea is with azalea is with us and 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 welcome back i think we missed you last week we missed all the goodness you always drop in this channel. So I hope this finds you well wherever you are. David, of course, is with us here today. David, great to see you. Felicia with the Reverse Logistics Association. We've got a big guest coming up on that series, the Reverse Logistics Series. I think it's the last Friday of this month, next week, I think, uh, with a, is it a Acer? Acer? How do we pronounce that computer company, uh, Greg? Acer. 
Acer. We've got their one of their fearless supply chain leaders joining us next week on a live stream. So y'all look for that. So welcome everybody. And one final hello. Peter Stangelon is with us here today. All possible through the E Shanker system globally. Customers linked with EDI and APIs. Hey, Peter does not miss an opportunity, does he, Greg? <laughs> the sustainability Viking. So watch that video because his he, he looks so buttoned up in his in his uh, LinkedIn profile picture, hmm. but he looks a little bit like Ragnar Ragnarsson in the video <laughs> where I interviewed him. All right. So with that being said, the sustainability Viking uh, that <laughs> we'll have to register that trademark. Um, but Greg and Kevin, we've got some wonderful stories and conversations to drop through here today. Are y'all buckled up and ready to go to it? All right. Let's go. My three points. All right. <laughs> All right. Great. So in the first story, we are talking about this report from Coin Telegraph. So Lockheed Martin is embracing blockchain specifically in Switzerland. So Kevin, tell yeah. us a lot more. So, you know, a lot of people are looking at uh, using blockchain for supply chain management. But there's, you know, some people are kind of slow, even though last year with the pandemic, there's been a great acceleration and an adoption of of blockchain, where Lockheed Martin, one of the world's largest defense manufacturers, is using blockchain for supply chain management in Switzerland and working with a company called SyncFab. And they're in this agreement, uh, they are streamlining the ability to identify and track all suppliers mm -hmm. across the entire country. So there's going to be direct access to all the parts procurement using this uh, supply chain platform, which is built on top of blockchain. And it, it connects all of the OEMs uh, to, to the, this a group called SwissMen, which allows OEMs to match suppliers across the entire country. So mm -hmm. you can identify the product you want track it, make sure it comes from the right manufacturer, it's not counterfeit. And, uh, you know, this is where the world is going. Mm -hmm. you know? Agreed. Well, you know, we also have, go ahead, Greg. I was just gonna say, you'd be hard pressed to find an industry where it's more important to verify the quality and the provenance of a product than, than air flight, right? Maybe medical, right. maybe that's more important. Olive oil, maybe. <laughs> Well, there's a big problem with counterfeit parts in the aerospace industry. You know? Yeah. And, you know, a, a little known fact here as we're talking air aircraft and, and uh, flying and whatnot, Kevin, you may or may not know, Kevin L. Jackson was a former naval aviator and flew the E-2, E-2-E? E-2-C Hawkeye and the C-2-A Greyhound. <laughs> so a lot of folks may not know that. So he, Kevin knows, and, and we've got a snapshot here. Breaking news, Greg. Oh, Look, no. kind of looks like it comes from a, a comic book. <laughs> that right there is a digital transformer mobile right there, captured <laughs> flying through the air. So, <laughs> so soon he's going to have his own his own cartoon like the Speed Racer. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of cool stuff, and and that, that's just the latest, right? One of the latest developments with blockchain. A lot more to come as it continues to find more practical and practical and practical and bottom line results producing uh, applications. Yeah. All right. So let's move right along. We're going to move from Switzerland to the African continent where the African continental free trade area agreement is showing 
some positive signs. So, Kevin, tell us more. Well, you know, um, Africa as a continent is uh, historically has been sort of behind uh, the rest of the world. But over a five-year period, all of the, the African Union actually negotiated a free trade agreement. So 54 of the 55 African Union nations have all signed to uh, eliminate trade barriers within the African continent. Mm. Um, and on January the 1st, it operationally came into existence. So it's the, it is the largest uh, free trade area in the world in mm. terms of the number of participating countries since the formation of the World Trade Organization. Now, this is a huge market. It's 1.2 billion people with wow. combined economies of over 2.5 trillion U.S. dollars. So this is, I mean, talk about a, a, a huge customer. And one of the main reasons why this is, is so important to all the countries in the continent is actually the lessons they learned from COVID. Um, it was uh, trying to deal with supply chains, the uh, exchange. There are 34 different currencies on the continent. And just being able to trade uh, when they needed to you know, produce more masks, for instance. One country would have a lot of masks, another country wouldn't. How would they trade? Right. So um, the other thing that's really important about this is there are uh, the digital economy in Africa is 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 becoming huge. Many of the countries are leapfrogging technologies. The uh, AWS, Microsoft, Cisco, and Oracle have all are all building tier four data centers in Africa. There's a huge. Uh, underwater cable that Google is paying for to go from the United States to Africa. And then there is a, uh, a, a communications uh, line, fiber optic line that's going across the outside of the entire continent. So um, they are becoming wired as you wouldn't believe. Hmm. Um, so Greg, I know we've talked about about this quite a bit uh, yeah. as part of our um, African supply chain series with our friends at, at SafePix. But what are some thoughts you've got here related to this development? I think what, you know, what gives Africa an advantage is that they are going from literally no infrastructure in some countries to the most up-to-date, and they don't have the baggage of the existing infrastructure. One of the things that jumped out to me yeah. Three, four, five years ago was 80% of the people, oh, maybe higher than that, but 80 plus percent of the people in Africa were unbanked. They did not have bank accounts. And um, so there came a lot of solutions that allowed them to use their cell phones and they never had banks. So while we in the United States, you still have to sign, still have to sign a ticket. Now we can finally tap and pay, which I could do 10 years ago in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um and while we continue to proliferate banks on every street corner in America, it seems like, for absolutely no reason. I have no idea why we're still doing that. 
they are far ahead of us in terms of banking. And, and some of these things that Kevin is talking about will put them farther yet ahead in certain areas, right? In, in terms of broadband bandwidth and, you know, just sure. access to data capabilities. There are a lot of other issues, of course, to overcome there. But this at least gives them better than equal footing in some of these technology areas. And when you think about the banking, they are rapidly adopting cryptocurrency also. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So as as I think Kim Winter, our friend Kim Winter has stated, the future is East, Greg and Kevin. I think <laughs> Kim shares that quite a bit. Uh, Kim, if you're watching, hope this finds you well. All right. So I got I to gotta pose this question to you from Tom, Greg. Because I know we talk about this quite a bit. What is the world's most counterfeited product? So it's not as clear as as <clears throat> one would hope. My favorite most counterfeited product is olive oil. But very <laughs> often it is uh, luxury brands and shoes and clothing and things like that. Um, in terms of volume, if you accumulate all of those items, they are far more counterfeited. But the single most counterfeited item type of single category product is olive oil. So, so chances are good you've got palm oil or something else in there. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. Messing up our fish. Messing up my blackened <laughs> fish here at home. Hey, uh, so... Well, and you know, I mean, olive oil is good for you. What right. they put in olive oil is not good for you, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it can be... I mean, it's not just a... It's just not a... Culinary is, deal. Is it the pr proper product? It's whether that product goes from being good to you for being to being bad for you. So mm. it's a serious issue. So uh, who is this last country across the African nations? Who's the holdout, Kevin? Do you know? 54 um, out of got to be South Africa. Yeah, I no, no, South Africa is, is, is in there. I'm, okay. I'm, 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 we'll we'll find out. find that out. Yeah, yeah we'll, could, we'll find out. So Jenny Congo, Froome, maybe. Jenny Froome is with us, and, and Jenny leads uh, the SafeX organization, our partners there. And she I bet she can tell us. Yeah. There it is right there. Um, Jenny tells us. Eritrea? Eritrea. 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 So uh, gotta, independent from uh, um, Ethiopia. They fought a war mm -hmm. independent from Ethiopia. Well, we'll have to get the trade team making, picking up the phone, making phone calls and, and making it happen. So we get all 55 African nations signed. But it sounds like uh, a wonderful development. And uh, Kevin, you mentioned it's one of the largest, if not the largest free trade zone. It sounds like it competes with NAFTA in that regard. We've heard a lot about uh, yeah. um, the unique trade uh, dynamics we have here across Canada, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. So great news I love to hear countries coming together to make trade and commerce happen for all. Okay, let's keep driving. We've got a couple other big stories here. Let's see. The next one. All right, so Kevin and Greg, we're going to go a little bit broader with this next story here. This is a, I thought it was a really cool article. This is an opinion piece, warning. This is an opinion piece from Dan Jurgen at CNBC, but I still like the article. So we're going to share some. I'm going to share some of the main points, uh, some of the warning signs that he's pointing to, where that are leading global supply chain slowdowns now, and how they're going to get worse. So I'm going to walk through this, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Capital C to get Greg and Kevin's take on this. <laughs> so, a couple highlights here. So first, Dan points to the world economy is revving back up, which is a great thing. Governments are stimulating those economies, which is a good thing. And, and then, as we're seeing here, especially in the States, 
you know, consumers are getting back out of lockdowns and they have pent up demands despite all the e-commerce purchases we've been having, right? So second, so with that as a backdrop, right? Secondly, three disruptions that, that Dan pointed out specifically that, that are nothing new here. We've talked about these quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Perfect storms, shipping, you got backlogs, congestion, and of course, where's all the containers? Where's all the containers? Uh, chips, between plant fires, droughts, including in Taiwan, and of course, the penetration of chips into everything. I think my toothbrush has a computer chip in it. Um, there's a ton of demand, right, on on chips. In fact, for the automotive market, IHS market says a shortage in the auto industry from a chip standpoint is going to last into 2022, and it's already shutting as we as we know, slowing and shutting down production lines already across different brands. And then finally, this this was kind of news news to me, just me. Maybe I'm slow in here. So plastics, I, I had no idea. I didn't connect it to that the Texas freeze and the massive problems they caused shut down, which we knew that shut down the petrochemical industry. I didn't realize just how much the world depends on the petrochemicals produced right there in Texas, especially when it comes to plastics. So the plastic supplies, uh, folks are trying to resource and as, as everything gets back online and they kind of, they play, play catch up. So a good bit of a, perfect storm in many ways. And in the whole backdrop of this article, it started with, you know, why is it taking months to get your couch? And then he, and then he walks through all of these issues and then kind of, kind of wraps with, so that's why you're not getting your couch for three months or whatever. So, so Greg, I know you are dying. I'll start with you and we'll get Kevin. So Greg, what say you? Uh, all of these are legitimate disruptions, of course, uh, only one really is one we don't face every single year. I mean, if you think about it, hurricanes hit Texas, winter hits, a freeze hits Texas, weather hits everywhere, somewhere all year long. So supply chain professionals are used to that. What this really reflects on is the absolute hard stop that we put on the supply chain about a year ago and the response of companies to that by also some ceasing to produce and the precision, precision would be a nice way of saying it, the weakness of their, of their uh, sourcing methodologies, particularly in the auto industry with their um, very light back, uh, what do I want to say, back stocks of, of products, right? So that when the supply chain stopped and then they immediately started producing cars, they did not start uh, up their supply chain fast enough. And so many of these industries, as we've talked about for so long, manufacturers can afford to be sloppy, and they have been. They have been very, very loose with their management of their supply chain because it doesn't hurt them enough or hasn't hurt them enough till now because their margins are so exorbitant. What you don't see is you don't see a lot of problems in retail and in distribution, like at the same scope that you see it in manufacturing, because they have very tight margins and they've had to be very precise with their both ability to fulfill the customer and their ability to do it in economic fashion. So they have been a bit more bold in carrying back stocks and safety stocks and that sort of thing to support it. But, you know, this is exactly what I'd expect from somebody who's selling an analysis, by the way, he's, he's, he works <laughs> at IHS market. Um, so, you know, what he's seeing is he's seeing 
disruptions now that we've seen all the time in this industry. Mm-hmm. And and they are more, oh, there's more awareness and there's more press around them, which by the way, we asked for that seat at the table, right? So right. you're welcome. Here's your seat at the table. And that means <laughs> when, when supply chain performance dips, just like when sales or profit performance dips in a company, you can expect to be at the top of the front page. So yeah. what I see is much, much more great awareness of these things than, than I see a, a significant number of uniquenesses and disruptions. But certainly there are uniquenesses and disruptions, mostly caused by the hard stop and the response to that hard stop last year. So, so go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I, I have a maybe a different view. What you say is true. But from a macroeconomic point of view, I think there's three things that are operating here. First of all, the uh, transition to to e-commerce has really accelerated the um, requirement for supply chain. You that it has to be the velocity of delivering products and services has to be reduced tremendously because people are expecting to order something today this morning and have it, you know, dropped by a drone this afternoon. So that so supply chain velocity is becoming really important. And that leads to the supply chain being extremely sensitive to any disruption. These are three major disruptions, but any disruption will affect the supply chain. This is very sensitive. And the third important aspect of that is globalization. Uh, we just talked about the fact that uh, Africa is now going to be entering the market as a, a the entire continent, right? So the competition between North America as a trading block, Europe as a trading block, Africa as a trading block, China as a trading block, okay, and the Pacific Rim as a trading block. The only thing that's not there is South America. I, I'm assuming we want to get a South American. Uh, trade um, area also, but this global competition is 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 heating up. Uh, so this all drives constant change. Okay, everyone always say, well, you have to be prepared for change. You have to be prepared for constant and consistent change from every area. So um, this is the this is the new normal. Well, I would argue that if if uh, folks stop burning couches when they're team one in the playoffs, we wouldn't have a, <laughs> we wouldn't need so many couches. An excellent point, Scott. Yes, <laughs> hard hitting analysis. Uh, I want to add uh, Stephanie's comment here. So, Stephanie, welcome to the live stream. The biggest struggle right now, she says, with increasing safety stocks is that you're still dealing with 52 week lead times on the safety stock themselves. So good point there, uh, Stephanie. Well, that depends on the industry, but yeah, certainly, I mean, and and that's the point is some industries are just increasing to having safety stock, mm-hmm. right? This just-in-time inventory is what is harming the automotive industry. Excellent point. Um, Excellent point. And, and uh, yeah, and I, and I agree, the big change in, in e-commerce has made the supply chain move much more rapidly, but that's been 25 years coming. And if we did not see that coming, I mean, first of all, two day, 
two-day delivery has been around for over six years now. And in fact, I worked with a company in 2000 that was trying to facilitate same-day delivery. So that we didn't see that coming is sort of the point. It's we as supply chain professionals have to not be laggards in our own industry, which is what <laughs> right. has, has set us back so much, right? Excellent point. And, and you know, as we all know, the automotive industry has has used, uh, they've been an 800-pound gorilla in the room using that leverage to beat up their suppliers, generally speaking. Uh, uh, I've been beat up on by autom- automotive companies in my earlier life. Uh, and, and, you know, that leverage and the is government. That's right. And that leverage is shifting. So naturally, yeah. uh, as and, and addition to all these other dynamics, there's there's going to be some uh, heavy price to pay with how we've got to shift how how business is done to to what Greg is yeah. kind of speaking to. So let's um, we've got a comment here from Nor and Nor, welcome to today's live stream. He's asking about reverse logistics. Hey, we're going to dive in deep to reverse logistics on April 30th at 12 noon. Nor. It's our reverse logistics series. We do it once a month with our friends at the Reverse Logistics Association. So tune in the, uh, on that date, 12, 12 noon Eastern time on the 30th, and we're going to dive in deep and talk all about reverse logistics. Okay, so let's, uh, is okay? Is it all clear to move move along to our next topic, Greg and Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to get back to it. Well, I mean, I, I, think, about. I think to Kevin's point, the world is changing and supply chain should be in front of it, not behind it. Right. And and the other is that uh, I think if there's anything else we need to take away, it's that we did ask for this level of of seat at the table of awareness in the marketplace. And we got it. So we better be ready to step up. Excellent point. Hey, before we move on uh, to our next uh, story, number four, I want to pose Azalea's uh, Azalea's comments to you. Sorry, it's Monday. Uh, My tongue is tied here today. So she says, as we reshape in the future to compensate for these changes, e-commerce, global Mm -hmm. expansion, et cetera, where do companies focus? Dense data data and tech, rewired global networks, increased domestic production. What are y'all's thoughts there? And and, um, who would like to go first, Kevin or Greg? Well, where um, do they focus? (laughs) (laughs) Any initial thoughts? Well, my initial thought is actually the article uh, where KPMG actually did an interview of uh, CEOs specifically on this on this point. Well, then um, we'll use Azalea's comment as a segue. Then, how about that? Yeah, but this was was revert, referred to as the COVID nineteen special edition, where they surveyed 1,300 CEOs in January and February before the uh, market really reacted and felt the full impact of all the lockdowns. And then they um, re-interviewed them in July and early August to understand how their thinking had evolved and how it was going to affect the, um, the future. What was pretty interesting is 71% of them said that they wanted to lock in the climate change gains, which is Mm. kind of mind-boggling, right? They're saying that they needed to manage climate-related risk that played a part in whether they can even keep their jobs over the next five years. Mm. So 65% of them. And then it was the future of work. 
this digital collaboration and using uh, collaboration tools as a result of the of the pandemic, it, that seventy three percent of them believed that remote working had widened their available talent pool, so they weren't really looking for people locally anymore because they could now rely on digital collaboration. And the third is that 67% of them had to rethink their global supply chain approach given the disruptive impact of the pandemic. So they want to become more agile in response to changing customer needs. So uh, that, that tells me that you're right. Supply chain is right there at the head of the table. And technology, the ability to allow people to communicate and collaborate uh, immediately over a much broader geographic area. And these, these executives are now widening their scope uh, of what they can do to take in into account everything around the world, including climate change, mm. which is kind of, you know, that came out of left field to me. Mm. So, um, Greg, any, you know, what would you add to Kevin, some of the key takeaways from this updated KPMG 2020 CEO outlook? Well, I think, um, first of all, it is, it's an acceleration of things they planned, arguably planned to do over the next five to 20 years. Um, and it was a start, what, what COVID to me really addresses is it, it is that punch in the face that the great philosopher Mike Tyson always talks about, right? Which is mm-hmm. everyone has a plan till they get punched in the face. <laughs> and until, until COVID, supply chain was not a big enough pain. It was not enough a big, a big enough exposure. It was not enough a big, uh, not a big enough brand risk and revenue risk to these companies for them to focus on it. And it was one of those, as much as we like to talk about having our seat at the table, we still yeah. didn't really have our seat at the table until this happened because they could not ignore it anymore. Other, the rest of the C-suite executives could not ignore it anymore. Let's face it, most companies are driven by their sales. There are a handful, a few that are really strongly driven by their supply chain. Johnson & Johnson is one company I worked with in the early 2000s. Henry Schein, not only did their supply chain transform, but the approach they took to their supply chain more more data-driven, more disciplined, more rigorous, they, they actually projected that out into their sales and marketing and other organizations in the company because they saw so much success with it. And yet companies had not written, many, many companies, the vast majority, nearly all mm-hmm. companies had not applied that kind of attention, that kind of rigor and detail and management to their supply chain, and they got caught off, off guard, mm-hmm. right? This could have been avoided, if we hadn't shut down the entire economy of the entire planet in a matter of weeks, right? I mean, that it really took something of that magnitude to yeah. cause this to happen. If that hadn't happened, we would have continued to sort of linger in, in half growth and half a seat at the table, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I think, Kevin, you're squarely on, on point. And of course, that's reflected by what you're relaying from this study. Yes. Yeah. So I think one of the key finding from this report was how 
Uh, these CEOs stated that talent risk is the number one threat towards their company growth, even ahead of supply chain risk and what they call a return to territorialism. Territorialism. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it, and it really goes to uh, Mohib's point here, where he says all these all these disruptions are bound to spring innovation and build resiliency in supply chain. Good to see. Technology is not only redesigning processes, but empowering people. That is yeah. such an excellent point because it is opening doors. And, and Kevin, as we talk about quite a bit, I've talked about it uh, on the last. Uh, and I, I interviewed a rear admiral from the Navy that led their the Navy's cyber cyber command. And mm. uh, Nadia's point that she shared with us, Kevin, mm-hmm. on a previous episode of Digital Transformers, that you know paraphrasing everyone thinks digital transformation is about machines but humans are driving humans are important yeah. digital transformation it's a human transformation so i love that and mohib such a great point it is about empowering uh and uh enhancing and um augmenting in, in many ways so um i want to share a couple of quick points here that you're going to get a kick out of uh peter peter says Everyone's taking the easy way out and blaming it on this pandemic, but <laughs> not so. Uh, that's not the real reason, but I agree with you. Uh, as Leah asked about, uh, do you see Six Sigma agile lean practices become even more valuable following this pandemic, specifically the risk management? My quick take, and I'd love to get uh, Greg and Kevin to weigh in. I think risk management, as we've seen for months now, for months and months, you know, going back 18 months, if not longer, because it certainly predated the pandemic age is as companies are getting really serious about their, their overall risk strategy. Right. Yeah. I think secondly, um, you know, uh, regardless of what school of thought that you subscribe to when it comes to continuous improvement, whatever it is, I think to really uh, tackle digital transformation and, and really compete in this, this forever now global economy, you're going to have to get really serious about uh, the, the continuous improvement journey you're on, regardless of what, what philosophy that you, you and your, your leadership subscribe to, so that you can compete. You can be more resilient in a meaningful way, not a cliche, not, not because that, that's a hot word, but we, we've got to be more prepared now for the curveballs that we know are coming, and they may, they may indeed come more often. So yeah. a big part of what, what builds that inner core strength for organizations is a meaningful, practical, results-oriented, continuous improvement uh, philosophy. So that's my take. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, I want to go to you next. Yeah, I really like Azalea's approach here because what we're seeing are the connections between all the business processes being really more important than any one business process. And that's where your risks are. They're, when those connections break, uh, they affect multiple processes simultaneously. Mm. Um, and so risk management, um, it's always been important in like finance. You know, you have an entire department organization focused on risk management, but other industries really have to uh, uh, take that to heart. Excellent point. Uh, Greg? Supply chain management is a risk management industry, yep. right? The risk of excess cost, the risk of running out of stock, the risk of disappointing your customers, the dis- risk of that damaging your brand, the risk of, of contributing to non-sustainable, unfair, illegal, or immoral practices. All of those are the risks that you manage when you are 
managing a supply chain. And instead of looking at the supply chain as a cost reduction exercise, which it has been and was when it was the necessary evil in the, in the C-suite, right? You have to look at it the same way that you look at sales and marketing as a, a value, as a brand equity management tool, as a customer experience tool for your company. And when you do that, you've taken the right perspective. And, and then you do things, as Alea, to like apply lean principles appropriately. I think some people didn't study lean. They just saw the word lean and thought, let's cut inventory. <laughs> because if you study yeah. lean, it is the least practical, uh, the, the, le- the lowest practical cost that you can, you can apply f- foundationally to meet the goals of the corporation, the goals of the corporation being the important statement there. So, um, you know, it, it's not that the practices, it's not even that to the point earlier that the technology hasn't been there to, you know, to Mohib's point, technology is far ahead of the, of the willingness to adopt advanced technology in the supply chain industry. And some of these companies could have adopted technologies literally 25 years ago that would have put them in a much better place at the start of of this pandemic or as a result of this pandemic. Yeah. Excellent point. Just one additional point to that. I think when it comes to lean in particular, the definition of waste is going to evolve, right? Because excess inventory and how you define that, they're probably going to be fine tuning that definition, which of course will dictate what you carry and, and, and waste in all of its forms, not just inventory, but all, all Muda. Right. So, uh, but, we need to we need to we need to have an ongoing conversation, Greg and Kevin, specifically mm-hmm. about continuous improvement. We've got to find the right partner for that. I, I do want to point out before we, gosh, it's ten till the top of the hour. Holy cow! Oh, wow. um, I want to add David's point here. He views that hundred um, percent these philosophies will be more valuable going forward. However, he says I think that a lot of focus is going to shift from lean to safe. Lean worked well until multiple issues cropped up like shipping container shortages, berths at port, on, on, on. I think that is causing many to look at changing from a true lean program to a hybrid of lean, but agile. Excellent point there, David. And then finally, Jeff Leroy is with us here today. So Jeff leads the ASCM chapter down in Savannah, Georgia, home to one of the busiest ports in North America. And he says, absolutely. We've identified gaps or omissions in areas that minimized our supply chain resiliency during the pandemic. So Assuming we got we got to tackle them, identifying is, is only it's not not even half the battle. <laughs> you That's know, right, right. Ten percent maybe. That's okay. just the first of the twelve steps, isn't it? I think <laughs> recognizing <laughs> recognizing that you have a problem. <laughs> Simon says, "Be lean, but not mean." Words to live by. Uh, mm-hmm. And Azalea, yes, they really emphasize how the practices can be incorrectly applied, yielding no benefits. So excellent point. And if you get no benefits, it's just it's just extra work. Um, okay, we've got as much as as uh, we're enjoying this conversation, we got to get to this last story. This is a really neat story, and it really if if Greg hasn't already been inspired, actually Kevin and Greg, this is a I learned a lot from both of you. But uh, this article in particular resonated with Greg, and this story, Greg, is about uh, a mini, a U.S. manufacturer that really. Uh, has done well competing against and even beating Chinese manufacturing. And now, courtesy of this this great Forbes interview, he's kind of sharing the the formula, right? 
After last week, I think people are going to find it difficult to believe that I don't think the main point here is that he is beating China. <laughs> it is an important point. Um, and he's pounding the hell out of him, by the way. So it, it is an important point. But um, the fellow's name is Dean Salone. He's worth $2.2 billion. You, if you've ever read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, this, this guy is like the billionaire next door. Okay? He gets his ideas for his business from Sesame Street, from Disney, from, <laughs> from some of the most <laughs> simple pl- garanimals, some of the most simple places that, that you can think of. Um, and the name of his company is called Shoal Technologies. It's in, it's in the, the technology mecca, the solar technology mecca of Portland, Tennessee. Portland, Tennessee. Uh, the, the company does... <laughs> About $176 million a year, and between um, Dean's share of the company and some other investments, he's worth over $2 billion. Now, when you read the story, which I'm going to strongly, strongly suggest that you do, you've got to realize that this cat was an overachiever from a very early age, obviously learned from his father. He could clearly sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves, and and in, and aside from that, he just has a very distinct capability to do to to create what I call frictionless processes. His presumption is that if he has humans doing the work, and what they do is they they create a lot of the componentry that are the guts for solar um, for solar energy capture mm-hmm. and and transmission. Right. So he's done things like color code his people's work shirts by the company that they work for. If they work for this company, they wear red. Um, if they work for that company, they wear big bird yellow. If they work for another company, or if they're doing the parts, I should say, for a company, they wear cookie monster blue. So. <laughs> well, you know, all of Stephanie that is, is about- really witty. She had a witty something earlier um, <laughs> as well. But I mean, so it's things like that. It's, it's also this presumption that if a human has failed at their job, then in fact, management has failed to make that job effective enough. And um, he's done things that I would not have expected. There is, there is a video board or a device on every single machine that shows them how to run the machine, how to operate it, how to clear it in case of, of a failure and that sort of thing. And then they have lights that let them know that they're on or off pace. And if they're off pace, it starts, you know, flashing faster. And then someone can come help them and get them back on pace. He encourages people to not worry about making mistakes because it is his opinion that if they make a mistake, it is the process and how they've constructed and enabled their work that has failed them, not that they have failed. So, there's a whole lot more that you can talk about there, including the fact that he's only five to ten percent higher than Chinese. The same uh, Chinese goods, well, probably literally the same. You can bet they're knocking them off. Um, <laughs> and that his the reason that he gets business is because his products are perceived to be safer and higher quality, mm. saving downtime and and repair labor and that sort of thing for people in the solar industry. So. Great. Yeah, the thing I really like about what he's doing, though, is um, he's leveraging and enhancing communication between humans. Okay, it's 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 not the technology 
it's the goal to make sure that humans can communicate better and more precisely. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's so much to love about the story. Um, yeah. Go check it out at Forbes. It's entitled Billionaire Reveals His Secret to Beating China as Manufacturing. But to Greg's point, it's not just about beating China. It's about running a well-old organization that provides opportunity for for his his all of his team, his organization. And you'll see he, he loves Disney. He's been going, he's been taking his family to Disney World twice a year for decades. And I love this quote uh, as they kind of dive deeper into why he's so fascinated. He says, uh, quote, Dean Salon says, quote, Walt's creativity was all over it. The ride is all about America innovating and moving into the future with hope and optimism. We need more of that, end quote. And he's talking about the carousel of progress, the ride at Disney. Love that. And then secondly, what I found fascinating really quick, little tidbit. Uh, Greg gives you the important stuff. Greg gave you the important stuff. <laughs> I had the factoids in. But this is really, this is fascinating to me. You know, because I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not a solar power expert. And, and uh, you know, we're seeing more of it, which is a wonderful thing, I think. But this, this really, this factoid kind of lays out the challenge we have. So uh, Orgis Energy runs a 270-acre installation uh, uh, sun farm that uh, generates 60 megawatts on sunny days, which is enough to provide about a quarter of the Magic Kingdom's power needs. 270 acres. So that, that was a that was that was pretty intriguing context and just scale, at least in my mind. But fascinating, yeah. fascinating journal uh, interview. So y'all check that out uh, via Forbes. Okay, it's a business book in an article, is what yeah. it is. Agreed. Excellent way of putting it, uh, Greg. Um, okay, so it looks like. Sylvia joined us late here today. Hey, Sylvia, we sure do miss you. We miss uh, sharing your your jokes and your observations. She Hope needs this to rearrange her lunchtime. <laughs> Sylvia, come on. Pretty, Sylvia. Also, yeah. Also, I'm out of jam. I'm just saying. Hope the lead time isn't too long. Uh, as Leah says, hey, if he's found the secret sauce, going back to the interview, we must protect this man. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Okay. So we got 12.58. We're right up against it. I know we covered a ton of ground uh, today. Uh, Kevin, it's always a pleasure to bring uh, you into the supply chain buzz. I'll tell you, though, between you and Greg, you two intellectuals, uh, <laughs> you know, you double all my note-taking between y'all, too. So um, let's make sure uh, folks know how to connect uh, with you, Kevin. So tell, talk, tell us about digital transformers and, and other things you've got cooking right now, including the new book. Yeah. So, um, first of all, the third Monday of every month, right? I'm right here. You can catch me. Right here. <laughs> you caught me. You caught me. <laughs> when I'm on the buzz. And um, also the fourth week, we also released um, Digital Transformers. So uh, this week, uh, we have a, a great um, uh, interview with a trusted supplier. Uh, they leverage blockchain to help uh, buyers and suppliers have more verifiable um, information mm. so they can enhance the, the trade. And uh, yes, my, my latest book, uh, uh, Quitless, it hit number uh, four on the um, bestsellers uh, ebook list at uh, Wall Street Journal. So um, actually, business people are reading my book. That's great. 
<laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's been a it's been a great week. We were we're seventy eight in the USA Today uh, uh, bestsellers list. So uh, that's not too shabby either. I'm really really happy about that. Um, quit so, list. Uh, yeah, quit list. <laughs> and that's Q U I T L E S S. I heard that wrong the first couple of times we chatted about it, Kevin. But you can. You thought it was quit list. Yeah, these are all the jobs. <laughs> Um, you can find that uh, wherever the, all the business books are, from Amazon to your local bookseller to, I think, Barnes & Noble. It's also at, Kevin. Yeah. Is that right? Hit the list on Barnes & Noble, actually, yes. And it's number one on multiple lists on Amazon. Excellent. Excellent. Um, all right. So love what you're doing uh, across different uh, a multitude of, of different paths, uh, Kevin. But we love the Digital Transformer series here, which um, really – it's not just about supply chains. We've talked about plenty of times. Every every business is going through its own digital transformation. Of course, some are opting not to not advance. Not to do digital transformation. Right. They don't but, stay in uh, business long. That's what that's I've right. heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, always a pleasure. And Greg, Tequila Sunrise just keeps on rocking. You dropped a very popular in, uh, episode into the channel last week with with the sustainability Viking, Mr. That's Peter right. Stangalan. Hopefully, hopefully he likes that phrase because he looks like a really big guy and I don't want to make him mad. So so hopefully well, he's okay with that moniker. Well, his wife is really the tough one of the family, Lorna, and oh. also a supply I call them a supply chain power couple because I actually met her before him, and she is a powerful force. So we're gonna be interviewing her in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear from her. Uh, what she's doing now for one of the biggest technology providers, resellers in the world is just amazing. And what she's done up till now is really impressive. But this week, this week is a, a, a favorite. I almost didn't get this one done in time. But Andrew Vaughn, who's the chief technology officer at Verison, just went on, I'm going to make a pre-announcement here, just went on paternity leave. By the time you're able to listen to that episode tomorrow on Tequila Sunrise, he will be a father. So um, congratulations to Andrew. Um, he worked as VP of Engineering at, Pro at Project 44 and, at, at, of course, as Chief Technology Officer at Verison, both industry darlings, highly valued supply chain tech firms. And what we talk about is both the difficulty and the method in which to to gain and nurture and and capitalize on supply chain technology leadership and capabilities within your company and to use technology to help with your digital transformation in supply chain it's a tough tough combination to find someone who knows technology and who knows the supply chain industry and andrew is a great he's a great example of that and um, it's a great interview very inspiring almost said super but i'm not a millennial super inspiring <laughs> like and um so, so so listen up for that and and uh yeah enjoy because it is powerful stuff he comes out with three hot points on how to uh manage that i give you a few points that i take away from what i understand about andrew and his philosophy as well so mm. you get eight takeaways from this in oh, wow. just under 40 minutes no extra charge. <laughs> that, is, that is quite a lean podcast there, Greg. Uh, all right. So 
Uh, be sure to check out our, our wonderful uh, friends over at OpenText, OpenText.com. Stay tuned for that June event that we'll be sharing probably starting uh, next week. And also stay tuned for Mark Morley joining us on a, a couple of future live streams. I think both of his appearances will be in May. But he's a, I'll tell you, anyone, and Kevin and Greg both also do a great job of this, taking these complex subject matter and concepts and boiling it down to when it, to where anyone can really uh, understand and 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 can can be a part of the conversation. So y'all check that out. Kevin and Greg, a pleasure to uh, knock out the buzz here today. Big thanks to Natalie and Clay and Amanda all behind the scenes. Stay tuned for weekend updates with Natalie Dutton next Monday, <laughs> right, on the lighter side. And I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful week. Make sure you check out Tequila Sunrise and Digital Transformers wherever you get your podcasts from. And Greg, uh, you got that, <laughs> you got those fingers, you got those things ready to go, huh? Hey, <laughs> most go. importantly, most importantly, folks, hey, this is a challenge for this week. This is a Monday, it's the start of a brand new week. Hey, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. You tried to mess me up on that. You're messing it up. <laughs> Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.